And so our calling is not to isolation, it's to involvement. The good news is not just for some, it's for all. Every culture needs to hear the good news. Welcome to episode 18 of the Lead Forward podcast. I'm your host, Dave Funk. I hope our time together will encourage you, strengthen you, and help you lead forward. It's great to be back after a short break over Christmas with a fresh batch of episodes for you to kick off 2018. I have some really awesome interviews lined up and other great content in the queue as well. Today we start with a recording from a special session at the 2017 BC and Yukon District of the PAOC uh, conference. Mick Nelson shares his thoughts on how to engage with culture. Mick is the discipleship pastor at Broadway Church in Vancouver, a, a large church in the middle of uh, urban area of Vancouverites and uh, lots of challenges and cultural cultural context there, intercultural challenges as well. Uh, Mick is a deep thinker and he's been in the trenches of Canadian culture for a long time. So he shares some great wisdom with some helpful images that will hopefully get you thinking more deeply about your cultural context and how you could more effectively share the gospel wherever you find yourself. Enjoy. I want to share with you a couple of my own experiences about landing in the sea of culture that is Canada and how I've had some experiences that along the way have rocked my boat. Now I want you to know I have just become an inhabitant of a new culture and that new culture is the sailing culture. Uh, I am now um, uh, a citizen of that culture among many other cultures that I'm going to be a part of and I'm going to kind of use a little bit of that experience as a bit of a metaphor for where I want to go today. So to just kind of give you a bit of a handle on uh, my journey in a nutshell, I was uh, born and raised on the prairies before there was a little mosque on it. That was my world, okay? Uh, so that goes back a little ways away. Um, I've spent a third of my life in Ontario, a third of my life in British Columbia, a third of my life in Saskatchewan and Manitoba. I have lived in farming communities, both grain and dairy. I've lived in mining communities. I've worked in the mine. Uh, I've lived in uh, the city, in the suburbs. I've pastored in rural churches, and I've pastored in city center churches. And I share that not because I want to present myself as an expert in culture, but I have a window on culture that has caused me as a pastor thinking to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission uh, has presented me with some real interesting challenges in terms of trying to make this universal message known to all these particular cultures. And so um, just last year about this time, I was sweating over my coastal navigation exam. Has anybody here ever written a coastal navigation exam? Yeah, well, I'm telling you, it's a bit of a panic. There's a lot of details. Because when you are navigating a boat over the trackless waves, um, you have to have an understanding of the things that you can see, land masses, other boats, buoys, markers, approaching weather, and tide lines. Those are the things you can see when you're sailing. But there's a lot of things you can't see when you're sailing. You can't see the wind direction, the water depth, the below-the-surface hazards, and the currents. Those are the things you can't see. And yet, if you're going to navigate safely from here to there, you have to factor in both the things that you see and the things that you cannot see. You need to become a coastal navigator. You need to be able to track in that environment. My personal experience afloat in the Canadian cultural sea, I'm just going to pick out uh, just a few experiences that have rocked my boat along the way. I moved from Victoria to Toronto. 
a few years ago to uh, take up a responsibility with our Bible college in Eastern Canada. And uh, so I'm kind of back in Ontario for the first time in about uh, 11 years. And, um, and as I am filling up with gas at the Shell Station in Markham, Ontario, on Kennedy Road, just a few blocks north of our church, Agent Court Pentecostal Church, I'm looking around the Shell Station, and there's about two dozen of us Canadians on, on this little patch of ground that is the Shell Station. And as I'm filling up with gas and I'm kind of looking at all of my fellow Canadians, it finally dawns on me for the very first time, I am the only Caucasian at this gas station. When did that happen in Toronto? Many people, when they think about culture, think about ethnicity uh, as their very first you know, place where they jump. Culture is about ethnicity. Well, culture is about ethnicity, but it's not only about ethnicity. My wife and I are in Montreal, Quebec. Uh, we're staying up by McGill University and we're walking four or five blocks to the venue where she is uh, at a lace convention. Yes, there are still people that make lace in the world, just so that you know. And uh, as we are walking the five blocks from McGill to the venue, uh, I'm listening to people talking on the street. I'm hearing Russian, I'm hearing Portuguese, I'm hearing Italian, I'm hearing Arabic, as I walk into the venue, it strikes me, though I've seen all kinds of French signs on my journey, I have not heard one person in five blocks speak English or French. Montreal, Quebec, just a few years ago. A lot of people think of culture as being defined by language because that's how we express ourselves. And culture is about language, but it's not just about that. My mom gave me a collection of photographs, and as I was digging through my photographs, I pulled out a slide, and surprise, surprise, it was a picture of me when I was 21 years old. And I'm sailing. It's when I first got started in sailing. So I've been kind of, you know, pretending to be a sailor for a long time, except now I actually am one, just, just saying. And uh, I was showing this photograph of myself at 21 years old, sailing, to one of the young adults at Broadway Church. And they looked at it and laughed and says, Pastor Mick, you look like a hipster born out of time. And immediately I sort of said, okay, criticism, compliment, criticism, compliment. I had to go home, check out on the internet, make sure I understood what a hipster was to find out whether or not that was a good thing or a bad thing. Sometimes when people think about culture, they think about pop culture. But, and, 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 and culture is about pop culture, but it's about more than that. Last week I was listening to an interview on a sports radio show, and the uh, Sikh commentator that pioneered Hockey Night in Canada, Punjabi, was being introduced. Do you know, I found this out last week, I checked it out on the internet, it's absolutely true, it's on the internet, so it's got to be true. Do you realize that after French and English in Canada, the third most popularly spoke language is Punjabi? Did you know that? Anyway, they were interviewing him and asking, well, how is it that the Punjabi community, the Sikh community, in Richmond, B.C., got so excited about this Canadian icon, this Canadian symbol, Hockey Night in Canada. And so he went on to kind of explain how uh, the community sort of embraced it back in 2011 when the Canucks were going to the Stanley Cup. Anybody remember that? Anybody too, old, too, old, too young to remember? 2011. He said the interesting thing was this Canadian symbol galvanized that community and it gave them kind of an entry port into Canadian culture. Yes, they remain their distinctiveness, but they buy into this symbol, Hockey Night in Canada. 
Well, culture is about symbols, but it's about more than symbols. Stats Canada just recently reported that in Canada, 45% of Canadians designate themselves as no religion. And uh, doing a little bit of research on that, just trying to kind of unpack that and understand that, I was talking to my friend, sociologist Mike Wilkinson, and he was saying, yes, Mick, but don't be fooled by that statistic. That does not mean that they are not spiritual. It just means that they're not religious. But the kind of spirituality, the questions they're asking has changed. They used to ask, is it true? Now they're asking, is it real? So they are still interested in spiritual things, but the nature of their question has changed. So culture is about spirituality, but it's about more than that. Well, you see where I'm going with this. We are a swim in a sea of culture, some of which we participate in, some of which we're influenced by, and some of which we observe at arm's length, but still take note of. So let me take a couple of moments just to talk about what culture is, to kind of chart the seascape, if you'll allow me. Culture can be described as the patterned ways that different groups have of thinking, feeling, and reacting to various situations and actions. Uh, Chapman, Burns, and Guthrie uh, define it this way. Culture provides the values, emotions, belief systems, and ideals, the ideas, the customs, and assumptions, and practices for entire groups of people. So kind of in general, that's kind of what culture is all about. It's where we live and move our have our being. It's where we determine what our values are. It's how we understand we live our life. It's our way of life. We're embedded in culture. We can't get away from it. Uh, culture is more caught than taught. We learn it by living with a certain group of people. And because it sort of is kind of um, infused into us by living in a certain group, sometimes our own cultural perspective can become a bit of a lens through which we see every other culture. And sometimes that lens can be clear, and sometimes it can be kind of cloudy. Sometimes it can be rose-colored. But because we are embedded in culture, we look at the world in a certain way because we've been shaped to some degree, by the cultures in which we've been raised in. So um, culture in Canada is complex. It's not monolithic, as we all know. It's multifaceted. And even the visible cultures in Canada have subcultures, each with their own perspectives, priorities, and practices. Some cultures are defined by the tide lines. And of course, when I think of tide lines, that's things that I can readily see, things we have in common, things we have in different, things that I can see. Some cultures in Canada are defined by the tide lines of ethnicity, language, demographics, and symbol. But some cultures also cross the obvious lines and create locally specific currents all of their own. I was just sort of thinking, David, as you were talking about youth culture, and you have people who are Christians and people who are exiles and people who are nomads and people who are, what's the one I've missed? Uh, prodigals. Those are all different currents, all within youth culture, different currents. And each one of those has a bit of a culture of their own. Okay, they belong to a bit of a culture of their own. I've often thought to myself, why is it that culture is so pervasive? What are some of the ways in which culture impacts us and shapes who we are as human beings? And to kind of unpack this, I've decided to lean on a book called Everyday Theology that's edited by Kevin Van Hooser. And uh, he just gives us a very concise understanding of how culture impacts us. Culture is both a system and a practice. It's a means through which ideas and visions of meaning of life are expressed and experienced and explored through various kinds of human products. 
he talks about the notion that cultural worlds are built on cultural text. I thought this was a brilliant idea. And just to kind of give you an idea of what I'm talking about, when we talk about the text for being a disciple of the following of Jesus as Christ, what's the first text we think of? We think of the Bible. The Bible is our text to frame our worldview and our understanding. Well, all cultures have their texts, but not all of them have written. Sometimes they take other dimensions. And so um, literature, newspaper, magazines, um, cinema, all of these things become cultural texts that begin to define a set of values and a worldview for particular kinds of culture. And somehow or another, we need to realize that we need to be attentive not only to our own text, but we need to be alert to the texts of other cultures around us. So four things about culture, if you're taking notes. Culture communicates constantly. And it communicates a certain vision of the meaning of life that is kind of embedded in that particular cultural influence. Cultural statements are vision statements, and cultural texts have the ability to kind of seize our imagination and kind of give us the picture of a different kind of a way of living. Culture communicates a program for making sense of life, a framework for which we understand our passage across this trackless uh, uh, ocean. So culture communicates all the time. Some people put it this way, culture is always preaching. That's why Christian discipleship is so important. Because if we do not intentionally go about being uh, formed as followers of Jesus Christ, our culture is already in our, in our heads, all of our waking moments, doing a preaching of its own. Okay? Number two, culture orients us. us. Culture is the logic by which I give order, the map uh, by which I sort of navigate my life in the world. And so uh, cultural texts are maps and scripts that kind of give us some sense of direction in where we're going, help us to understand where we are. The stories we tell about where we've come from and why we are here are going to have an important bearing on how we're going to think about our life every day. If I really want to know you, I don't need to know your vital statistics. I need to know your story. When I understand your story, then I begin to understand you. When I understand your script, then I begin to know who you really are. So culture communicates all the time. It orients us in terms of how we make sense of the world in which we live. But culture also reproduces. And this is the thing that sometimes causes us to be just a little bit nervous as parents and pastors. It continually is preaching and proselytizing. It spreads belief, values, ideas, and fashions and practices from one social group to another. And culture reproduces and replicates itself when people begin to copy certain cultural traits to which they've been exposed. Hey, Dave, is that, is that, is that a tattoo you've got? What's that about? Where'd you get that tattoo? I think I would like a tattoo, just like that one. I'm going to get a tattoo like Dave's. And someone sees my tattoo and says, whoa, that's cool, Pastor Mick. Why do you have that tattoo? That's really, I think I would like to have one. And culture reproduces not so much biologically, it kind of is communicated by proximity, as it kind of catches on from person to person. And increasingly, you know, it used to be that, you know, tattoos were the purview of, you know, bikers and sailors. Well, of course, it's a whole different world now. Whatever you think about it, it's one of the ways that culture is just passed on by proximity. People reproduce what they've seen and adopt it as a part of their own story. And then finally, culture cultivates. And as a pastor, this is my biggest concern. Because culture offers a certain type of spiritual formation all of its own. 
Uh, Dallas Willard said this. He said, spiritual formation is the process by which the human heart is um, oriented and formed and shaped. And so if we are exposed to the scriptures, of course, then the Holy Spirit within us, in concert with the Holy Spirit, shapes us into the image of Jesus. But our culture is also involved in spiritual formation. It is always also trying to win the war for people's hearts and affections. And so culture, culture cultivates character traits and habits of the heart, and in doing so forms our spirit so that we become this kind of person rather than that kind of person. And I mean, you can see it most clearly uh, among different ethnic groups, where different ethnic groups have certain ways of looking at the world and certain attitudes and certain demeanors and certain ways of coming across. Well, where does that come? It's kind of been picked up from culture as they have lived and been embedded and been shaped by it. And so... With this in mind, realizing that culture communicates, it orients, it reproduces, it cultivates, realizing that we live in this sea of cultures, all of us are part of not just one culture, but probably several, we need what um, Burns and Chapman call cultural intelligence in order to navigate these seas. Every community has its own unique coordinates, its own longitude and latitude, if you will, each with its own tide lines and currents and each with its own interweaving and interplay of cultural dynamics. And in addition to the ones that I've mentioned, let me add a few more. There are personal preference currents, generational currents, demographic currents, socioeconomic currents, organizational currents, religious currents, gender and identity currents. There's technological currents. There are the number of currents that kind of affect and are a part of this whole business of, of culture, and they all have their own role to play, each in their own combination. So that means that the gospel has to be contextualized and, um, in every particular situation in order to make sense at every longitude and latitude. And so, for instance, we do our work in East Vancouver. And you would think, okay, we're all Canadians, we're all British Columbians, we all live in East Vancouver, but anybody who is familiar with our neighbor will know that the culture at the Lower East Side and the culture at Commercial Drive and the culture at the corner of Renfrew and Slocan, where the Broadway Church building is located, are different cultures. Same tide lines, we all are Vancouverites, but the currents are, we're different cultures at different locations, even just across the city. And so cultural intelligence is the ability to function effectively across these diverse contexts, bringing together cultural discernment and biblical wisdom in order to understand another's culture as well as we understand our own. We may share similar situations with our neighbors, but inhabit them differently. And I cannot love my neighbor unless I understand him or her in the cultural world in which he or she lives. I need cultural intelligence. So how do we navigate? Are there some tips? Are there some essential skills for navigating that will help us to be effective cultural agents? Well, I spent a lot of time in that exam where I was sweating like profusely over a nautical chart trying to sort of figure out how do I get from here to there and to map out a course. When you read a nautical chart, it's got standard formatting and labeling features, but they have to be interpreted to plot a course. You have to determine what time of day, when are the tides flowing, what's the weather like. That's all going to have an impact on how your trip is going to unfold. We can all have the same nautical chart, but um, arrive at our destination by totally different routes. We may all be Canadians on the outside, but we follow different cultural paths for living on the inside. We need skills at being able to read and understand 
cultural maps. And so what are those skills? Well, I'm suggesting that there's three that are critical. The overall attitude, I think, is we need to have one of humility. David, I think you mentioned it earlier. We need to be aware of our own culture and how that shapes the way we see other cultures. And when I say that we need to have some humility in thinking about our culture, we need to see both its um, pluses and its minuses, both its strengths and its weaknesses. Okay? We need to see both the beauty and the blemishes. Just be honest about our culture and how it affects the way we look at the world around us. But having done that, having kind of stepped forth with humility, I'm suggesting that the three essential skills for cultural navigation are looking, learning, and loving. Looking is about opening up your eyes and seeing. I, I, I love that statement by Hagar when she's been thrown out of Sarah's household and she's lost in the desert, a slave, a long way from home, bereft by the world. God intercepts her in the desert and ministers to her and she says, wow, you are the God who sees me. We need to have that type of discernment that we are able not just to see the tide lines, but actually be able to see the currents that make a culture what it is. Somehow or another, we need to start looking with brand new eyes and paying attention to what it is that we see around us. Because there's clues all around us about how cultures work and various places where maybe we can make an entry port uh, with the gospel. Secondly, we need to be listening. We need to use some intuition, some godly intuitions. We need to ask questions that people are actually asking. We need to value their story. We need to be attentive. We need to ask more questions and, and make fewer propositions. We need to let people know that we're actually interested in them. And then finally, our whole posture, our whole motivation is love. The cultural currents have shifted, and maybe, I'm going to suggest, it's time to change tacks, or if you prefer, change tactics. Now, whenever you're sailing and you run into a change in tide or change in current or change in the wind, sometimes you just can't carry on on the course that you're on. You have to do something differently in order to make headway. Sometimes to get to your destination, you need to tack over in another direction. You have to change course. Your destination hasn't changed, but you take the wind over the other side of the boat. And so I'm going to make a suggestion just for us to consider we have spent a lot of years sailing on the great commandment tack. We've been taking the wind over the great, uh, or I mean the great commission tack. We've been taking the wind over the great commission tack. Go into all the world and make disciples. And uh, that has kind of guided a lot of our attempts to reach into culture and to, to, reach, into, uh, reach into various cultures. But on the other side of the boat, what I call the great commission side of the boat, um, there's also some lessons to be learned. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the incarnation reminds me that God takes cultural seriously. And so, could I just reframe these verses? Would you allow me? I'm going to kind of, you know, step out on the edge a bit. Go into every culture and make disciples. Love your neighbor in their culture context the same way you love yourself in your own cultural context. Think about this. The Great Commission is all about love, and the Great Commandment is all about outreach. Sometimes we separate those things as if they're totally separated, but they're not. They're two sides of the same boat. And as we look at the culture in which we live, I wonder if it isn't time for us to kind of tack and take the wind over the Great Commandment side. 
and to love people the way Jesus did and to be proactive. Somebody once said, I don't know who was that said it, maybe somebody here knows the, the author, I couldn't find it. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so I'm not talking about abandoning truth in Christian practice, but I'm talking about leading with love. I was introduced by a couple of um, sociologists to this concept recently, and um, they said, well, you've heard of orthodoxy, right, Mick? Everybody here heard of orthodoxy? Everybody good? Orthodoxy is what? Right? Right belief. Right belief. Okay, we're all good. We all know what orthodoxy is. And then there's another word that's related that kind of came on a little bit later, orthopraxy. And orthopraxy means right practice, okay? Okay, right behavior, right practice. Okay, we get that. How many here have heard of the concept of orthopathy? It was new to me too. And I thought, what is orthopathy? And so my sociologist friend said, well, if you think of orthodoxy as right belief and if you think of um, orthopraxy as right practice, Orthopathy is the right feelings, the right affections, the right motivations that kind of thrust you out into do orthopraxy and orthodoxy. And so I'm suggesting that we may be in a season where we need to think really hard about, you know, taking the wind over the great uh, commandment side of the boat. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but also to love our neighbor as ourselves, Because we will never, ever reach into cultures when we don't love the people that are there. So let me wrap up. God is present through his people in every community. We're here by design. We're built for this. The incarnation reminds us that God cares about culture, and we need to care about culture as well. We need to remember who we are as the people of God, but we need to identify with the people that God has sent us to love. And our calling as God's people is to courageously engage culture, maintaining our spiritual identity. Don't, I don't want to waffle on that and our loyalty to Jesus, even as we incar uh, incarnationally follow him into cultural context into which he's called us. And so our calling is not to isolation, it's to involvement. The good news is not just for some, it's for all. Every culture needs to hear the good news. And God's love compels us to embody this good news in culture. And to do that, we need to get away from the dock and set sail. Well, finally, the Spirit of God is our ultimate navigator, really, at the end of the day. We are here with direction, we are here with discernment, we are not alone. And so let me end with this comment from Paul. Walk with wisdoms toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer every person. Thank you. You've been listening to the Lead Forward Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And as always, you can find more leadership resources at leadforward.ca. I hope you'll join us next time.